into Wendell's world in sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play, Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody is being safe. I hope everybody is being responsible. I hope everybody is doing what they need to do. I hope everybody is using common sense. I hope everybody is listening to the doctors, to those who know what's going on with the pandemic. I hope everybody is being safe and healthy and responsible in what we're trying to do to get things back to normal. I want to give a shout out. I want to give a special dedication. I want to give a what's up. I want to give a hello, how you doing? My bonjour to everybody out there in Paris and France and Australia and Norway and Sweden and Denmark and Canada and the United States and Mexico and everybody else who's listening to this podcast. What's up? How you doing? I hope everybody, as I mentioned before, is doing well today on the podcast. Let's just get right into it. Huh? I want to give an update on some of the leagues, whether they're going to be starting, whether they're going to be postponing, whatever is going to be happening. I just want to give you an update so far about what's going down in the Major League Baseball. Union Chief Tony Clark, he's man, this guy's still optimistic. He's talking about Major League Baseball is going to play some games some way in 2020. What he told the uh, USA Today Sports in an expansive telephone interview, of course, because of the pandemic, there are no face-to-face interviews, of course. But he said that everything centers around two things, the amount of testing available and a vaccine, and how it can be mitigated in the public arena as much as the professional arena, and it can't be at the expense of public testing. Now, Clark was on a 30-minute telephone call last week with Major League Baseball officials discussing the possibility of all 30 teams quarantined and playing in Phoenix. He also has listed the idea of radical realignment with teams playing games at their own spring training complexes in Florida, or excuse me, in uh, yeah, Florida and Arizona. And there's even been some talks about having some games in Japan or teams playing games alone at Dome Major League Stadiums. Who knows what's going to happen, but Clark did say that we don't have the answers. We don't expect those to come anytime soon. If you remember Jeff Passan, of ESPN was talking about, he was the one that first floated the idea, and I just spoke about this in a couple of podcasts ago, about the possibility of Major League Baseball holding its games in Phoenix, Arizona, or the Phoenix, Arizona area, all 30 Major League Baseball teams, and basically, they would be sequestered in their hotels, and they would either be in their hotels chilling, doing what they need to do, and then they would go to the games and play the games and then go right back, and this wouldn't be happening for a week or two, there would be no There would be no chances for a respite. There would be no chances for them to, quote-unquote, return to society. I mean, this would be a situation where to, you know, get their paychecks. It would be a situation to where they would play the games. They would go back to the hotels or to wherever they're going to resorts out there in Scottsdale or whatever, depending upon where the team would be playing. And we're talking about, at the time, the idea for them was to be playing all over the facilities, the baseball facilities in Arizona. And when you speak about Arizona, really it has to be the Phoenix, Arizona area, because when you think about it, the main city 
in the state of Arizona is Phoenix. I don't think they're going to be playing any games in Tucson. I don't think they're going to be playing any games in Flagstaff. I don't think they're going to be playing any games in Nogales. I don't think, or what is it, Douglas, Arizona. I don't think they're going to be playing any games in Winslow. I don't think they're going to be playing any games uh, anywhere else. So it would be mitigated, it would be really in that Phoenix, Arizona area. And as I mentioned before, and when I was talking about this, man, about whether this would be a good idea or not, let's just forget all the other hoops that Major League Baseball and any other sport, for instance, when they decide if they want to get back to resuming or starting the schedule. Number one, for the near future, I just can't see any league, basketball, baseball, hockey, whatever event or whatever sporting event that's going to be happening, at least, at least, I think, until early 2021, at the very earliest, maybe not even till the spring of 2021, I cannot see a time in any sport, whether we're talking about football, whether we're talking about boxing matches, whether we're talking about cricket, whether we're talking about anything as far as sporting events are concerned, where people are going to be watching in a stadium, in an arena, or whatever, on a golf course. I don't see any way, anyhow possible, that we're going to have anybody watching sporting events in an arena or at, or at the event, at least, again, until maybe March, maybe February, sometime around there of 2021. I just can't see it. I just don't. I just don't see it happening just due to the fact of the lack of testing that we have, the lack of a virus that we have, or excuse me, the vaccine for the virus that we have. I just don't see any way possible that this season we could be having people in the stands watching <clears throat> watching football games or watching baseball games or anything like that. So, of course, when you're speaking about these guys playing in the Phoenix, Arizona area this upcoming May or June, June realistically for Major League Baseball was when they wanted to start the season. I, I just really don't see where that's happening. I know it's a lost revenue for those guys, and I know players want their paychecks, and I'm quite sure if you ask maybe close to the majority of players, would you forfeit the season, forfeit your paychecks if there were no fans around or no fans to watch the games live? I'm quite sure those guys would be, no, that's okay, man. I mean, long the checks don't bounce, we'll play in front of We don't play in front we don't, we don't mind playing in front of uh, no fans. I mean, if you're the Oakland A's or the Tampa Bay Rays, it's almost like uh, what, what would be the big difference? We don't play in front of many people anyway when we play at home. So the main thing for me, again, would be protecting those in terms of catching the virus who are not baseball players, who would not have the ability to have the measures taken in terms of their safety from the virus as others would. So I'm talking about those who would be have to be employees at the hotel or those who would have to transport the players from the hotel or the resort to the playing field or to the stadium. I'm talking about the stadium workers who would have to clean up. I'm talking about those type of people. I'm talking about the little folks, not the millionaires. I'm not talking about the the, 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 those who have been employed by the team. I'm not, even the ball boys or something like that, I would say, you know, you would put them at a significant risk, risk, enough of a risk for me to say, look, let's just kind of hold off on this when it comes to Major League Baseball and let's just wait at least, the very least, let's see what we can do until we are more advanced in testing before we go ahead and even think about having a season. And again, this has to be run by the Players Association. And if I'm a player, yeah, you know what, man? I'm making a boatload of money. And for me to miss that paycheck would be tough. It would suck. And 
if I'm not, you know, me being a baseball player, I don't have the advantage of, say, guys in the NBA like LeBron James or like a Chris Paul or like a James Harden or like a Russell Westbrook or some of the mega top stars in the NBA who have themselves sneaker deals, who have, because of their greatness, been able to build a brand to where they don't need a check from the NBA or from them playing basketball for them to subsidize their income. I mean, LeBron James has so many avenues of where he's getting money from. For him to miss an entire season as far as playing basketball with the Los Angeles Lakers, he's not going to make a big deal because he already has enough money. Same thing, as I mentioned before, with people like Steph Curry and others. So baseball really doesn't have any of those players. I mean, maybe you could take a look at someone like a Bryce Harper or maybe you can maybe take a look at maybe a handful of others. But for the most part, the majority of the income that these Major League Baseball players get, and it's a hefty, it's a handsome income, is through their paychecks that they get from the organizations that they play for. Now, if they're smart, I mean, you know, most folks here in the world, we go ahead and we live up to our paychecks. So normally, especially in a situation like this, where this pandemic came down and none of us were really prepared to go ahead and save for just in case something like this happened. So, yeah, I would say the majority of the Americans and the majority of people who live in the world, I'm talking about Canada and Australia and Spain and Mexico and these other countries, I'm quite sure that a lot of you guys spend pretty much up to your paycheck. You have a few dollars left in the bank just for an emergency, but no one was expecting this kind of emergency. But just thinking that baseball players would have some money set aside just due to the fact that, I mean, how much can you spend? I mean, if you're making 25, 30, 35 million dollars, I mean, you're really going to spend that much per year? Good Lord have mercy, man. What kind of life are you living? So, of course, baseball players should be financially able to go ahead and to weather the storm if they have to miss a season. But then again, maybe they don't. But for the upcoming baseball season, still up in the air, Still in jeopardy, but there's remaining optimistic. I don't know. I don't know. So we'll have to move on and think about that. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us in the NFL. Speaking about that, is the NFL season going to start in September? Right now, the NFL is concentrating on the upcoming draft, which is going to be happening April 23rd to April 25th. And if you really think about what's happening for football, it's really been the main thing as far as sports is concerned that kept us going. You can only talk about the COVID-19 and you can only talk about what effect that that's going to have on the upcoming sports and what's going to be happening in terms of how they're going to be dealing with it. I mean, if you're someone like a sports center, if you're someone like a Fox Sports, if you're someone like an NBC Sports, if you're someone like a CBS Sports, what are the major networks or major sports networks who talk about sports, man, you can only talk about the COVID-19 virus and the relationship that it's going to be having with the major sports all over the world for so long. So right now, as far as the foundation, as far as being the stars of the show, it's been, it's been the National Football League and it's been the NFL draft. So right now, there really hasn't been too much talk about what's going to be happening in terms of the season. Is it going to be starting on time and such? Now, Mark Maskey of the Washington Post, he reported on Wednesday that a shortened season is on the table with one person saying the upcoming schedule is being done in such a way that it builds in that flexibility. As you mentioned before, the draft is going to be April 23rd to 25th. As far as having 
any type of OTAs or training camps of, as of right now, as far as in person is concerned, the traditional way of doing it in the NFL, that's, that's not going to be happening. So right now that these coaches are, be, are having what they call virtual training camps, where I guess everybody is coming in on video and all this kind of stuff, and they're going over the playbook and such. But, you know, the, just the day-to-day of the passing, the catching, the running, the going through drills with the team, getting to know everybody, eating in the cafeteria, starting to build that chemistry, starting to build that relationship, starting to build that brotherhood, which defines and which makes a team really a team. That, of course, because of the virus, that is out of the question. So, Mark Maskey, again, was talking about it. The Post was talking about, you know, what there's discussions going on that, you know, the upcoming season might be shortened and that there's ways of them to be doing that. And Dr. Jerry Smith, who's the county executive for Santa Clara, what he told ESPN, he said, it's a major miracle. It will be, quote, a major miracle uh, to to have uh, games being played at Levi Stadium in Santa Clara to be held as usual in the fall. And, of course, you also have to take into context and take into the thoughts and the ideas about if you are going to be having these games, we exactly don't know. Because here in the United States, I mean, you have the New York situation where, you know, if you speak to one person, the best, the worst is yet to come. And if you speak to another person, it might have slowed down a little bit. But that doesn't mean that by September that the New York Giants and the New York Jets are going to be able to play at the at the Giants stadium when the season rolls around. If you take a look at what's going to be happening in California, we don't know if there's going to be the, the Los Angeles Rams and the Los Angeles Chargers. Are they going to be able or be comfortable or be willing to play their games in a stadium like that? Because it all depends, again, on which state is doing well. I'm quite sure that the state of Missouri, in terms of how they're handling the pandemic and the, what their numbers are concerning those who have been infected with this uh, virus is a lot different than, say, someone who's dealing with it in a place like Los Angeles, California, or a place like New York City, or a place like Chicago, Illinois, or maybe a Miami, Florida, where the Bears and where the Dolphins or where these other teams play. So one of the things that I haven't heard, because we've heard basically for Major League Baseball and the NBA talking about these guys having a centralized place where these guys can play all their games. I just think that there's just too much personnel. There's just too many employees in the NFL for their 30-32 teams for them to get into one location. Like say, for instance, baseball was talking about having their season in Phoenix. The NBA was thinking about maybe finishing off their season and having the playoffs in Las Vegas. I don't think there's a place, I don't think there's anywhere the NFL can go and have their 32 teams stay in a certain city or stay in a certain location. Who knows? It might be an Indian reservation. Who knows? It might be somewhere in Dakotas. Who knows? It might be somewhere where the chances of getting this virus are minuscule. And because of the multi-billion dollar league, which is the NFL, they can have systems in place to where, you know what, if you're going to be playing out on an Indian reservation or if you're going to be playing somewhere in some remote area in Montana, let's just, let's just say, for instance, just, just, just throwing out ideas, just throwing out ideas. If the NFL, and I'm quite sure everybody is running things up the flagpole to see which one gets saluted or not, but I'm quite sure if I had the idea of saying, you know, is it feasible that us, the NFL, can do the same thing that baseball is trying to do or what the NBA is trying to do, which is to get their teams to play in one centralized location. Is there anywhere out there, if we 
take a look at some of the states, if we take a look at some of the areas that have either very little or no uh, coronavirus situations, is there anywhere but by the time September rolls around, if we are somehow, some way going to have to start the season in cities like, again, like Los Angeles, California, or the Bay Area, or New York City, or any of these other places that still might not be ready for NFL football in their cities, or there's, is there a certain area out in Montana, out in the Dakotas, somewhere that we can maybe get together and play a game, maybe use the stadium in Montana and Billings, or maybe use the stadium out there in uh, North Dakota, or maybe have that dome, maybe if schools are not going to be ready to be opened by that time, is there anywhere that possibly these players can use some of the campuses to be sequestered while they play football? I'm, I'm not saying it's even feasible. I'm not saying that it's doable. I'm not saying it's even possible. But if you're just going to be running ideas around to see exactly what can happen, I mean, let's not leave any stone unturned. If I can use that cliche, let's dot our eyes and cross our T's so to see if it's possible. Because Maybe that is the only way the NFL gets done. We don't know because we don't know exactly which direction this pandemic is going to go. I've said it before and I've said it again. So far, so good in terms of the majority of areas, areas in terms of this virus. I mean, it hasn't exploded. We're not dealing with hundreds and thousands and hundreds and thousands of deaths and having the worst case scenarios such as hospitals being overrun and people dying in the streets because they can't get into the hospitals and, and all of these types of things. And, and another end of the world apocalypse type of situation. We haven't gotten there yet, but I'm telling you right now, at least here in the United States, I know in Australia and, and down there in Perth and everything, I know it's a completely different uh, situation. But man, when you're talking about now we have May that's going to be coming in in a couple of weeks. Then we go to June. Then we go to July, which here in the United States and for a certain part of the world is going to be the summertime. And we're speaking about the temperatures getting better and the sun is coming out. And if you're living in the Midwest in the United States and you're living with some of these other places where you're going to be experiencing, where you experience eight to nine months of cold weather and below temperatures and freezing temperatures and snow and you go ahead and now the summer comes along and you're going to be looking at 85, 90, 95 degree days and it's going to be beautiful outside. And you're going to have governors and you're going to have people of leaders talking about you still need to be sequestered. There's still going to be situations where you can't go anywhere. You can't go on the park or you can't take a walk in the park with your friends. You can't go ahead and watch the fireworks for the 4th of July. You can't go ahead and do these things. When it comes to us being sequestered here in the United States for the last couple of months, I think people are going to say, be basically are going to say, fuck you. I'm done. I'm out of here. <laughs> I mean, in terms of, you know, I, I've been sequestered a, a long enough. I've been doing this now since February. It's now June, late June. And you're still telling me, let's wait a couple of more weeks before we decide. No, man, uh-uh. it's too nice outside. It's too beautiful outside. I need to go ahead. And I need to do some things. So, I think it's a situation where the fear is that we might get a little bit too laxed or people might let their guard down just a bit in terms of really being vigilant and making sure that this virus is under control, at least until we get some adequate testing. I think we could see a spike again in the numbers of people who are, uh, who are getting the coronavirus once the weather gets a little bit better, once people's patients start to wear really thin and then they start going ahead and start mingling and social social getting together and all those type of things. So 
basically, and the reason why I say that is for the NFL season, for me, in April, it's hard to kind of give a real intelligent guesstimation if the season's going to be starting in September, because even though we're doing great right now, I think there's another hurdle, namely the summer, and people's intuition to say, screw this, I'm just going to go ahead and do what I do because I've been inside and I've been self-quarantined long enough. I think that's the hurdle, the next hurdle, the major hurdle, the major obstacle that people are going to be facing on whether life can return to some type of normalcy or start to, the, the wheels start turning or we start going down that road toward normalcy once August and September hit, which is when the NFL season is going to start. So as of right now, man, everything is just really under control. Really, excuse me, really things are just like, I don't know, like we don't know. We don't know. That's the main, that's the thing that sucks. You know, when it was with any type of deal concerning troubles in our country before we we've always had it. I mean, not unless you were still hanging around in 1918 when they, when they had the pandemic flu or the first, the, the virus, whatever that was going down back in 1918. But for the most part, man, we've been through depressions. We've been through wars. We've been through gas shortages. We've been through hostage situations. We've been through 9-11. We've been through all of that stuff. And what makes this virus so doggone different, different is at least with the other things that we have faced, at least with the other obstacles and adversity that the United States has faced, We've always had a certain type of end game. We've always seen the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, when 9-11 happened, it wasn't a situation where we didn't know when the games were going to be starting again. We had a timetable. It was in our control. We could have had baseball sit out for the entire rest of the season. The same thing with the NFL. I mean, there was a situation where we were in control. We were the ones that were in charge of when we got back to having a normal life again. Even the day that it happened, if you wanted to go ahead and do your thing, you could go ahead and do your thing in terms of going to work, in terms of making a paycheck, in terms of being around your loved ones, in terms of that. It was a solidarity of, of union and uniting over what happened on 9-11 to where it was like, we are in control. You know, we can force our will. We don't need to be scared by anybody. We don't have to hunker down. We don't have to be scarred. We don't have to be acting like cowards. We can do what we want to do in terms of living our lives in the every day. This virus is completely different. Now you can live your life the every day. You can risk that. But you're putting your health, you're putting your loved one's health, you're putting others in danger. If you go ahead and say, fuck this bullshit, I don't give a damn, I want to go ahead and still hang around and try to find 50 other people I can hang around with at the same time and do these other things. You can go ahead and do that, but you're not in control of your health and whether you're going to live or get sick or die in this situation, man. This damn pandemic that we're having right here, this is keeping us indoors, for some folks, it's a matter of you want to stay, live, keep living. You have to stay indoors. You have to walk around the streets wearing a mask. You have to be concerned about that stuff. You have lost your job. 9-11 for this country, when 9-11 happened, we didn't lose our jobs. We didn't lose our income. Unemployment didn't jump up and have 6.6 .6 million people file for unemployment claims. We didn't do any of that stuff. We didn't do any of that stuff when the depression hit. Yeah, people lost their jobs, but again, it was a situation where we knew there was a road to where we could get back to normal. 
We can still go to restaurants. We can still go to movie theaters. We can still fly on planes. We can still work, not have not worry about our health. The housing market crash that happened in 2008 didn't put an undue strain on our health in terms of the pandemic, which is going on right now. This, we don't know. This, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. When 9-11 happened, is the NFL going to still be happening? Yeah. We knew answers. We had answers. We had con- we had concrete answers. With this, we don't know. So here we are in April. Is the season going to start? Baseball? I don't know. Is the NBA going to resume? I don't know. Is hockey going to resume? I don't know. And if it does, what is it going to look like? I don't know. When 9-11 happened, we knew what baseball was going to look like. We knew what football was going to look like. We knew where they were going to be playing. All of those things. We knew, we knew, we knew. And golf, tennis, boxing, all of these other sports. We knew, we knew, we knew, we knew exactly what was going on. This pandemic, who knows? Who knows? And it's scary, man. It's really scary. Where's my next paycheck coming from? I don't know. When are you going to get back to when are you going to get back to working in the Clark County School District? I don't know. Is our schools going to be opening up in in uh, August? I don't know. What about the seniors who are trying to graduate? What about them? I mean, are they just going to let them graduate? Are they what's going to be happening? I don't know. Not just seniors. What about those in elementary going to middle school? What about those in middle going to high school who are failing classes when the pandemic hit? What about them? Are they going to have to repeat the grade? Are they going to have to go to summer school? Is there going to be a summer school? What about virtual online? These classes for people who might live in poor areas who might can't, who can't afford to have a Chromebook, who might not have internet access. What about those guys? What about those juniors and sophomores and 14 and 12-year-olds? What about them? I don't know. That's what it is for the whole world. I don't know. I don't know. So that's when it comes to sports. And we're speaking about these leagues. And we're speaking about playing. And we're even trying to justify, okay, exactly why is baseball playing? Why is the national football? Why? What's happened? Well, maybe football, you get a little bit of time. But with the Major League Baseball, why, why are we speaking about this? Why are we trying? It just, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right, right? I mean, the way baseball and football and everything try to go down, I, I mentioned it before. As much as I love sports, when I love sports, come on now. I mean, I'm trying to do this for, I've been talking about sports damn near 20 years, you know, so I love sports. Can't think of, just love it. But it's like, I don't want to compromise, you know? I mean, I'm, I'll adapt. If there's not baseball this year or this season, I'll adapt. Wimbledon's been canceled. I won't be able to see Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams and them. All right, sucks, but I'll adapt. No Olympics, Summer Olympics this year. Man, I wanted to see what Team USA was going to do. I wanted to see if LeBron was going to play and Steph Curry was going to play. If Kevin Durant would have been medically cleared to play it if he wanted to come back and play. I wanted to see the USA basketball team and see what it looked like going up some of these against some of these other countries and take a look at the track and field events. I mean, hell, it only happens once every four years. I only give a damn about Simone Biles and these other beautiful women, gymnastics uh, folks, once every four years. Same thing with, with um, what's one of my favorite, well, handball. Not handball. Um, oh my goodness! There's a sport that they play in the Olympics. I just love it. 
I absolutely love it. That might be handball, but whatever it is, it's just awesome. Badminton and all this kind of stuff. I enjoy watching those games. And it leads perfectly for me in the summer every four years when you speak about an event like that. And I like that every year it seems like, you know what, during the summer, because Major League Baseball is 162 fucking games, and it can get long and boring. Boring. But it's nice to have that little break in the summertime in terms of, you know what, when the World Cup comes around every four years, when the Summer Olympic comes around every four years. I mean, we're speaking about the World Cup, man. We're talking about the football, the World Cup. That's the biggest sporting event in the world, baby. And yeah, I might not be living and breathing and dying with football along with soccer, because, you know, here in America, we say soccer, but of course, the cor- correct pronunciation is football. So all my, so, you know, for those who are listening over in the soccer-loving countries, let me say football and not soccer, like they do with the MLS. But, you know, I, I am just, in, I just love, I mean, you couldn't get me to watch soccer. Maybe I'll watch a little football, but not soccer, but football. I can watch, man. I really get into that World Cup. I love hearing the stories. I love the way that the sport of football has the impact on some of these countries, the pride that it gives. You know, once every four years, that's beautiful, man. That's awesome. And I love the fact, again, that, you know, two, three summers out of out of four summers, I get to watch something that's really, really special that comes around again not too many times. I mean, this ain't the Super Bowl where it's every single year. This ain't the NBA Finals where it's every single year. This ain't uh, Major League Baseball where it comes around every single year. I, I, I love these small tournaments for football in these other countries that I can watch in the in the, in the Summer Olympics and such. I, I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, guess what? We're not going to be having that opportunity to do that this season or this summer. But that's okay. I'll get by it. I'll get through it. But I sure wouldn't want, for instance, to have the Summer Olympics be taking place in empty arenas and having all of these restrictions put on these players and everything um, because of this pandemic. I wouldn't want that. Either do it right or don't do it at all. They postponed it to 2021. Okay, I can wait another year. That's cool. I mean, God willing, hopefully I'll still be here in 2021 where I can take advantage and watch and, and, and do those things. That's cool. Same thing in baseball. Baseball, that's okay. All right, if I have to miss baseball this season, I mean, damn, what am I going to do this summer? I don't know. But I guess for you and for many others, man, I think our more important thing is, man, what kind of paycheck am I going to be getting? How am I going to be paying my bills? All those other things. I mean, one of the things that's right down on my list in terms of what I'm worrying about is watching Major League Baseball. So either do it right, play with fans in the audience, so or, or don't do it at all. I've expressed that before on my other podcast. I don't want to see the NBA Finals being played in Las Vegas after guys have been sequestered for a month or two and having it played in front of having it played without in front of nobody. I don't want to be watching baseball like they do in in Korea where they're playing in front of nobody. I don't want to have these ridiculous measures to where the um the, there's no umpires and the manager or the pitching coach can't come out to the mound and talk to the pitcher and and all these other things. I don't want to deal with that. Get it right. Come back when it's right. And look, look, it's not the money. It's not my money that I'm losing if Major League Baseball shuts down. That the owners are going to be losing if Major League Baseball shuts down. The players missing a paycheck if Major League Baseball shuts down for the 
2020 season. So I get it. I understand it. I, I, I realize why you guys are trying to do everything and everything to try to get things together. But for me, I would rather uh, just have those guys just say, you know what, when we get it right, when everything is good, when everything is copacetic, when everything is quote unquote back to normal, when we get a vaccine, whatever, whatever that's going to be, when we just get to somewhat normal and we can go to concerts again and we can go to movie theaters and watch movies again, where we can go uh, conjugate and have a good time and go to restaurants and go to clubs and go to bars and all of this good stuff. And kids are back on campus going to school and living in dorms and eating and um, eating together in the cafeteria and such and hanging out. When the world gets back to that, when I can go over and hang out with, a, with my boys and do all those type of things, that's when it's like, okay, baseball, okay, basketball, okay, football, okay, football, Okay, soccer, okay, UFC, okay, boxing, tennis, golf, whatever you want to sport you want to throw in there, lacrosse, come on back, be happy, I'm glad, I'm ecstatic, and let's get it together. But as of right now, nah, man, uh-uh, let's just keep things, let's just keep things on ice until we can get it somewhat back, this country, this world, this society, get it back to normal. Amigos, me llamo a Wendell Wallace. Que pasa? Bien, bien. Wait a minute, I got French and Spanish mixed up out there. Hola, hola. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, comment allez-vous? Très bien, merci, vous-même. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports. I remember my mom was a French teacher. She was a really good French teacher. She worked for the Montgomery County School District for a long, long time. And, um, I remember when I was in high school, and um, I remember this teacher that I had, the French teacher that I had, because I was like, you know what, I'll take French, and my mom's a French teacher, so I mean, you know, what kind of an easy grade I can get there, right? Couldn't do anything. You know, back then when I was going to school, I mean, the option, there was an option where we could take Latin. You understood that? Latin. Now, it thinks it's just Spanish. Sometimes they have French out here in the school district that uh, that I work for. You have Maybe some schools have Japanese, but for the most part, it's, it's Spanish and a little bit of French. But when I went to school, it was French, Spanish, and Latin. But I took French because my mom was a French teacher. And um, I remember there was a teacher, I think it was my junior year in high school. I don't remember, so long ago. But there was a teacher in junior my junior year in high school. And I guess she knew my mom because my mom was a really good teacher and she was well known throughout the uh, district she eventually moved up to become a vice principal I mean my mom was my mom was and is just an awesome 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 woman person human being and all that kind of stuff love her to death but um you know so my mom had her had the, the younger 
group of teachers who kind of looked up to her, especially when you're speaking about French teachers or foreign language teachers. So I guess the woman zeroed in. I forgot her name because, again, it was so long ago. But she zeroed in on the fact that, oh, this is Marie Wallace's kid. So, I mean, it was just like, bonjour, Monsieur Wallace, bonjour. So she was like always speaking French to me. Because when my mom taught French, her thing was when the kids came in, she taught middle school. And the thing was is that my mom used to say, when you have kids come into your classroom, the English speaking and stuff is over. Everything is being spoken in French. So my mom would take role in French. My mom would do the class in French. My mom would do the lesson in French. How those kids in seventh and eighth grade knew what she was talking about, I have no idea, but they did. They did, and she did a great job. So the thing was that her thing was that when the kids step into class, the English stuff, the English speaking stuff out. I'm going French, 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 French. So this teacher in my high school, JFK, John F. Kennedy, she would sit there and she would do the lesson and speak to everybody in English. And then she would, for me, only speak French. And I'd be sitting there going, lady, I have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, right now I'm 16 years old. You know, my deal right now is really not to getting into French studies right now. My, my idea is hanging out with Mikkel and Steve and Hayden and Cliff and Joe and all these other guys who are playing ball. And, you know, I'm still thinking about Marcy and I'm still thinking about Felicia and I'm still thinking about all these other girls, Nikki, Linda Walters. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of like really not caring about French right now because, because I'm a really bad student. So it wasn't just French. I really didn't give a damn about school period. All I wanted to do was just chase after girls and play basketball. So really, this stuff about you speaking French to me is not really getting through because I really don't give a shit. All I wanted to do is all I want to do is run after Linda Walters and see what I can do about acting a fool with Michelle Wills and doing all this other stuff. I mean, Nikki Black. That's the only thing I want to do. I'm not interested in learning any of that other garbage. So every time she saw me, even in the hallways, Bonjour, Monsieur Wallace. Uh, bonjour, Mademoiselle Smith. Comment allez-vous? Très bien, merci. Et vous-même? Some bullshit like And I'm just always thinking to myself, hey, man, how do you say woman get off my case in French? I mean, it's just like, bonjour, Monsieur Wallace. Yeah, she used to say it with so much enthusiasm, too. Like when she would see me walking down the hallways. Bonjour, Monsieur. Like, like what, you, what am I going to do? Do you want me to run home and tell my mom what a fabulous teacher you are, or maybe you can get a raise or something like that? I mean, what do you what do you want from me? Leave me alone. It's just you know, she be speaking. Okay, now with the just sweet ele Oh, Monsieur Wallace. Like, what? What are you talking about, man? I'm, you know, I'm. I got my mind on something else, man. I'm thinking about how the, how the way Denise Huxtable was looking, Lisa Bonet was looking last night on the on the Cosby Show. I mean, well, I'm not really paying attention to what you're talking about. Oh, so okay. Wendell's World is Sports. Wendell's World is Sports. Bonjour, Monsieur Wallace. But still, hey, you know what? All these years later, I still remember it. Comment allez-vous? Très bien, merci. Et vous-même? <laughs> Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, I was speaking about. Uh, sports coming back to normal and how I don't want sports to come. I don't, I'm not interested in having sports being played in empty arenas or empty stadiums. I'm not interested in having sports come back. These sporting leagues come back to where there's going to be all of these different rules and regulations being placed and don't want to do that. The only sport I guess you can say where it's like, I get it. I understand it. Yeah, and you know what? 
even if it has to be a dummy down version, even if you have to throw conventional wisdom on his head, even if you have to, you know, flex and do all these other things to try to get the season in, no matter no matter what it takes. I get it. I understand it. I'm not going to be mad at you for it. The only sport where I can agree with that 100% and totally be in agreement is college football. That's the only thing. And now there's this college football. Really, if you think about it, the college football regular season is uh, starts before the NFL season. So you're speaking about a situation where, you know what, there is going to be a time where college football is going to have to make its decision on what we're going to do about the season before the NFL. It might be very close to each other, but then again, we're speaking about, again, the first week of college football starts the first week of September. And those are the kickoff games where, you know, you start making that money. You've got some really good games and you've got some really good competition. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what's going to be happening. And you also have to throw in the dynamic that what's going to be going on with the college educational system in terms of what is the world going to look like in terms for students who are going to be going to college? Are they going to be taking classes online? Are they going to be I mean, what is what is a college campus or a college town going to look like during this pandemic? If things stay the way that they are right now, I just can't see a college campus being filled to anywhere near capacity or anywhere near the, the, the goals that the recruiters and the admissions departments have. I mean, they're going to have to be doing everything humanly possible to try to get folks on the campus. And if you're a parent, why in the world would you do that if we don't have a, a vaccine, which we're not going to have by the fall of 2020 and be testing? How do I know? I mean, we're going to be talking about, are you really going to be comfortable with your child being in a dorm with other students and being, having dorm mates and, and all of those other things, if that's going to be going on? I mean, depending upon how this pandemic is going to be going, either in the positive or negative, are they going to be, I mean, I'm quite sure, especially if you're talking about private and private universities and such. I mean, are those type of schools going to be just shut down or quarantined in terms of, you know, except for the essentials? I don't even know what the essentials are, but for the most part, is the student population going to be at zero if the pandemic again gets out of control? So we, we don't know. And you're also speaking about football players playing in college football who, oh, by the way, aren't getting paid. So it's the situation where you're putting these players at risk when they're not even being paid for it to play in these games. So those are also dy the dynamics. And you take a look and hey, they, they did a research or a survey or something like that. But when you're speaking about teams from the Power Five Conference, when you're speaking about college football's Power Five, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, uh, Pac and the SEC, you're speaking about those five, SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, yeah. So when you're speaking about those Power Five conferences, you're speaking about, if they say postpone the season, you're speaking about each one of those schools losing approximately $80 million. You're talking about the average financial loss revenue of teams in the Power Five conference being $80 million, which works out to four point one billion dollars combined and that doesn't even consider potential impacts on student fees or money from schools general funds i mean when you're talking about 
reduce, you know, you're just talking about all of those type of things. I mean, what's going to be happening as far as those, that, those, those are big deals, man. And you're talking about some of these schools and let's not even, let's just go out a little bit more as far as the dollars that are being lost and the impact that would be, that would be halved on these college football programs. Let's go even go away from the Power Five conferences. Let's go away from the big time, uh, big time schools like a Texas or an Oklahoma or an Ohio State or a Clemson or an Alabama. What are those type of schools? The Blue Bloods, the Notre Dame, shall we say? Let's talk about some of those lower tier schools. Let's talk about schools from the mid majors. Let's talk about schools that are in the SWAC. Let's talk about schools that are in the MEAC. You know, a lot of these. Teams, if you're speaking about the team from historically black colleges and universities, in the beginning of the season in football, will they go out and Alabama A&M plays Alabama or Tennessee State plays a Tennessee or Jackson State plays a, plays a Missouri or a Maryland Eastern Shore or a Howard University plays a Maryland? And you see these scores being 63 to 7 and 76 to nothing and and all of these other scores, and you're sitting there going, that's embarrassing, that's humiliating. I mean, I even joked about it myself, saying that, man, you know, one of the things that our community needs to be dealing with is the fact that we need to start having these five-star kids start going to some of these historically black colleges and rescue them. Because, man, you're talking about some brutality. Ooh, white folks giving it to black folks again. As you're talking about these Alabamas, you're talking about these major-tier schools. Yes, I know that they have black players on the team, but my joke, joke, Joke is these majority white universities doing it to the historically black universities and colleges again, beating them senseless, beating them soundly like they are. But beyond that, the reason why that North Carolina A&T is going to play North Carolina, the reason why South Carolina State is going to play a Clemson, the reason why Florida AMU, FAMU is going to go up and play the University of Florida, Florida State, is because, yeah, we'll get our asses kicked. Yeah, we'll get embarrassed. Yeah, we'll get the beatdown of all beatdowns. But guess what? We're also going to be collecting a paycheck of somewhere between, I don't know, half a million dollars, $600,000, maybe sometimes a little bit more than that. At least they're going to be getting a paycheck in the six figures. That right there for a lot of these historically black university and colleges are the determining point in terms of if you want to stay D1, if you want to keep funding some of these other academic programs that we have, if you want to keep that library open, if you want to go ahead and do these other things as far as improving the campus and the university, the very fact that, you know what, if you play these schools, at least you're going to have a 30-second ad on television where you can give free promotion to your school, the fact that the coach can go ahead and maybe recruit some of the coach from the some of the players, not the five-star players, not the four-star players, but those who fall through the cracks, who are great athletes, who are looking to play football, who can compete at the level of those in the lower tier conferences, those in the one double A conferences, those in the historically black college and university type level of, of uh, participation in athletics. At least those guys, when they go up and they play these schools, that will get an opportunity to maybe go ahead and recruit some of those other guys who say, look, you might not be, as Alabama A&M can go to Tuscaloosa, yeah, they might lose to Alabama 63 to 7. But during the time, the short time that they're up there, that coach can go ahead and go and say, you know what, you might not be good enough to play at Alabama. You might not be good enough to play at Auburn. You might not be good enough to play at UAB. But guess what? 
you would be great playing for us. We need you. We could use you. That's the same thing with Alabama State. That's the same thing with a lot of these folks. Like FAMU and these other Bethune-Cookman out there in Florida. Yeah, we'll go ahead and get our asses kicked up in Tallahassee in Gainesville. But while I'm up there, I'm going to see what I can do about maybe I can get some info on a second string or third string quarterback for the Gators who's upset because he's not getting enough playing time. And they're already recruiting some five-star quarterbacks. So we want to get the hell out of there and play immediately or you know, have a chance to play right away and put up some numbers. Well, hell, why don't he come down to FAMU? Why don't he come down to Bethune-Cookman? Why don't he come down to uh, our school and play? So maybe I can, while I'm getting my ass kicked, maybe I can go ahead and see what I can do to maybe get into his ear or maybe get a little bit more information about what the situation is with him. Is he truly upset? Maybe I can get into a contact. Maybe I can run into one of his contacts, a father, a mother, an uncle, a high school coach, something. But that's one of the advantages of these lower tier schools, these schools who are not of the Power Five conferences, the paycheck, the opportunity to recruit, the opportunity to pr promote their school. If the college football season is postponed or canceled, that goes away. So you could be talking about an Alcorn State. You could be talking about a Perry View. You could be talk about, talking about a Morgan State. You could be talking about some of these schools of Virginia State or Virginia Union who's, I don't know, I'm not going to say the obliteration of their, of their sports, but it would set them back years upon years. Because unlike Alabama, unlike the top-tier schools in college football, they don't have any extra funds sitting around to where they can successfully weather the storm if college football is canceled. So because of that, yeah, I, I, I in totally agreement with Chris Fowler of ESPN when he, when he was talking about, you know what, if there's a situation where September rolls around and college football still isn't ready to get back to playing football, well then, yeah, I can see a scenario to where, guess what, we'll just have the season, we can move the season from what, February maybe to May or January maybe to April or somewhere, basically just moving the college football season down the road. And if it overlaps with college basketball, so be it. There's just too much money involved with college football for us just to be saying, nah, screw it, we're just going to go ahead and get rid of it. And let's also forget also, you know, you're talking about the economic impact that these schools have on their um, on their on, on the economy, on the local economy. You're, you're speaking about someone like uh, Iowa City in Iowa where the University of Iowa, Iowa is, and you're taking a look at that football team. Do you know how important it is for the county, for the city, for the population, for the residents of Iowa City that Iowa football plays seven games, seven home games in their area? The total population of Iowa City is somewhere around 70,000, right? Which is the capacity of the stadium that they play in and then basically is sold out on a routine basis. So you're speaking about Iowa City and Johnson County. On an average, every game draws over 51,000 visitors to the county. That's money coming in, money, money, money. And they could be staying two or three days. They come in on a Friday, they leave on a Sunday. So a pilot study found that the projected income impact on Johnson County of a single Hawkeye game was over $14.5 million. So you just go ahead and do your little math. A seven-game schedule, $14.5 per. You're looking at 
um, you're looking at a hundred over a hundred million dollars going into that economy just based on the football games alone. You take a hundred million dollars out of the economy in Iowa City. How many people are going to lose their jobs? How many people depend on them jobs because of the football games in Iowa? How many people depend on their mortgages, paying their mortgages, sending their kids to school because of the Iowa football program? And that doesn't even account to how the impact that it has, again, on giving that university the opportunity through the Big Ten Network, through uh, ESPN, through the ABC, in terms of those guys being able during that halftime break or during that commercial break for 30 seconds to talk about how great Iowa is. That's a free commercial right there. That's free promotion right there. You're not going to have that if college football cancels the season. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. You take a look at North uh, uh, South Bend, Indiana, home of Mayor Pete. Pete Buttigieg is also the home of, uh, also the home of Notre Dame football. That's the, that's the economic lifeblood of South Bend. Notre Dame football in 2014, the estimate, as the study showed that in 2014, Notre Dame brought in $122 million for that area. We talked about uh, South Bend, and I'm quite sure if you ask uh, Buttigieg about some of the economic problems that South Bend is facing, could you imagine taking, again, $122 million away from that area, from that economy, from that, uh, that, that that community. Devastating. Eugene, Oregon, home of Phil Knight, home of Nike, Oregon University. Their athletic department direct spending in twenty uh, in the 2011-2012 fiscal year. They had accounted for $115.3 million worth of economic activity in Lane County. $45.2 million on household earnings and 1,028 jobs. It was responsible for $79.2 million worth of new economic activity in Lake County from outside sources. That's all based upon the athletic department, which is mainly run, or which is the star of the show, here is the uh, Oregon football team. So we're speaking about communities like uh, uh, State College in Pennsylvania, Clemson, South Carolina, College Station in Texas, Auburn, Alabama, Oxford, Mississippi, Columbus, Ohio, Ann Arbor, Michigan. We're speaking about those communities that depend on the football team. You're speaking about, again, three three days when people come to Columbus, when tourists come to Ann Arbor, when folks come down to College Station, when folks go to Auburn, Alabama. What the hell else is there to do in Auburn, Alabama? What the hell is there to do in Western Pennsylvania as far as State College is concerned? What the hell else is there to do in Clemson, South Carolina? There's nothing to do in terms of for them to bring in the amount of money that the Clemson football team, that the Penn State football team, that the Michigan football team, that the Auburn Tigers, that the Mississippi football team, that the Ohio State Buckeyes can bring in as far as their football revenue is concerned. It is just too much money not to be, not to have the season being played. Especially, again, I don't want to have these teams being, uh, these these, uh, college football teams playing in an empty stadium. That's taking millions upon millions of dollars away if you don't have that because you lose those. So when Iowa plays Penn State at Happy Valley, 
folks from Iowa aren't going to what out. Folks from Iowa aren't going to come down and watch them play or go down to the state college if they're not going to be allowed to go to the stadium itself. Ohio State and Michigan playing in front of an empty, uh, empty stadium? What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? We're speaking about Alabama. We're speaking about Ohio State. We're speaking about Michigan. We're speaking about Penn State where they have over 100,000 people go to their games. You take that away, you postpone that economic, that would be an economic disaster for those areas. So no, I understand those guys talking about we need somehow to be able to move the college football around, move it around, and just way too much, way, way too much. And again, it would be a death blow to the athletic departments for some of the mid to low major division one schools. So, you know, that's, that's, how I, that's how I feel about that. The NBA can go away for a year if it's not going to be done the right way. Baseball, football can go away as far as the NFL is concerned. But with college athletics, you just can't have it, man. We're, this could be a situation, man, where if you think about it, realistically, let, let's just say, for instance, that if there's just no way. Let's just say, for instance, that because of the pandemic, that's happening right now that, you know what, it's just not feasible to even have our, man, do I, do I really hate using this phrase, man, it's not feasible for our quote unquote student athletes to be on campus. It's just not right. We just can't be done. So let's just say because of that, the main reason why that's the reason college football is canceled or for the 2020 season. Just think about this. Just think about the last time there was a college game being played for anything. We're speaking about when? March? The last game was what? The first half of St. John's and Creighton or something like that at the Big East Tournament in New York. Ever since then, college athletics have been dormant, have been down, had nothing. So we're speaking about the college baseball season and the World Series in Omaha that's being canceled. Do you know how much money that brings to, say, for instance, let's just not even talk about the regular season of baseball. I mean, those games are being played. I think you can watch those games on CBS Sports. So those schools do have contracts, television contracts, for some of those programs. So that's going to be hurting them this way. So you're speaking about some of the best teams in the country for college baseball this season. Old Miss, Vanderbilt, Texas Tech, Louisville, Florida. Forget it. No season. Done. Period. And then you speak about the economic impact that it has because the World Series is not going to be playing in Omaha, Nebraska. And that's a situation where, hey, look, they have a 24,000-seat stadium that is not being used. 50 out of 52 weeks a year is not being used. A couple of times, Creighton plays his home games so it's in front of basically family and friends. Other than that, the only time before this pandemic happened, the only time the TD Amateur Trade Park in Omaha, Nebraska was being used, it was for the College Baseball World Series. And during that time in Omaha, you're talking about hotel rooms being filled to 85% capacity. Last year for the opening day and opening week of the College Baseball World Series, hotels were at 95% capacity. Thousands of full-time and part-time jobs are, are used during that event. The economic impact estimated by the College Baseball World Series being in Omaha, $74 million. That's more than $6 million generated in local and state taxes. That's done. That's gone. That's nothing. 
When you hear folks in Omaha talking about, fuck yeah, we need that money. Hell yeah, we need that money, Jet. <laughs> Shoot. That's going to do a little something to our economy. So now you have the pandemic virus already having a blow to the economy as a whole, the whole world economy. But let's just even just bring it down and micro it just a little bit to a place like Omaha, Nebraska. The fact that, you know what, you might think about, you know, who cared about the college baseball? I don't care about college baseball. Never watched college baseball. Don't know anything about college baseball in Omaha, Nebraska. When the fuck am I going to go to Omaha, Nebraska? Big fucking deal, right? Well, for those folks in Omaha, Nebraska, it is a big fucking deal. The fact that the college baseball World Series has been canceled because no fault of their own, no fault of the NCAA, no fault. It's just the way it happens, unfortunately. Man, we're just living in horrible times. So you have college baseball that's not going to be playing this season for colleges that's going to be a, that's going to take a financial hit. You have the women's college softball season and the World Series in Oklahoma City being canceled. So teams like UCLA and Washington and Arizona, Florida, Alabama, Oregon, some of the top tier schools and top tier softball teams in the country, they're not going to have a chance to compete and they're not going to have the opportunity to bring in their fan base and they're not going to have the opportunity to make any money and ESPN is not going to be able to show their games and lends to those teams not getting that paycheck and not getting that revenue stream coming in that way. So you're speaking about the next time if college football decides to go dark and cancel the season, you're speaking about the next college sport to be played possibly Again, if college football is canceled, is college basketball in November. So we're speaking about what? Eight, nine months of no college sports. And that's not even speaking about track and field. That's not speaking about lacrosse. That's not speaking about tennis. That's not speaking about all the other sports that uh, that is under the NCAA umbrella in terms of athletic participation that's going to be canceled because of this virus. So with college football, yeah. Most definitely. They they need to somehow, some way. You know, the funny thing is about college football is the fact that if, because we're speaking about social distancing, we're speaking about self-quarantining, we're speaking about being sensible, reasonable, using common sense in terms of, look, you can go for a walk in a park. That's fine. You can go for a nice little hike up a mountain. That's fine. You can go for a walk around the neighborhood. That's cool. I mean, you wouldn't, you can dribble a basketball a little bit around the neighborhood and go shoot hoops outside in your backyard. That's fine. If you have a pool in your backyard, you can definitely go for a nice little swim. Those little things are great, but you can't do it surrounded by 18 other people, or you can't do it in a large group, right? So I temper my thoughts and opinions about we're going to go off a, a cliff in terms of the virus being under control, someone under control. We hope, we think, we pray, maybe as of right now when the summertime gets better. But I was just thinking, you know, if Ohio State had the ability, if Alabama, University of Alabama, University of Auburn, University of Texas, University of Oklahoma, let's just say, for instance, in a, in a world that luckily isn't happening, that's not realistic right now. What happens, let's say, for instance, if the most powerful man in the state of Alabama, Nick Saban, said, you know what, file, you know what, guys, fuck it. We're all here on campus and tomorrow we're going to go out and we're going to hold a practice and we're going to hold the red and whatever. The, we're going to hold a scrimmage and it's going to be open to the public. All you guys who want to watch Alabama play a little football, all you guys who want to watch your university go ahead and go through a practice, come on in. 
No, no question, this, that, and the other. I bet you in a stadium, and if they practice in the stadium, speaking tomorrow, I bet you in a stadium that holds around 100,000 people, let's just, let's just round it off and say 100,000 people, I bet you tomorrow, if that invitation was sent out to those in Montgomery and Tuscaloosa and Mobile and anywhere in the vicinity of the Alabama University campus, that campus, I bet you at least out of 100,000, I bet you at least 60,000 would show up. That's a conservative number. I'll say 60,000. It wouldn't shock me if it was close to 80. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Come on, y'all. Come on down here and watch LSU scrimmage. Take a look at what the 2020 football team is going to look like. Come on down. I bet you that place would be filled to about 85% capacity. Same thing in Columbus, Ohio. Same thing in Austin, Texas. Same thing in Norman, Oklahoma. Same thing in Gainesville, Florida. Same thing possibly maybe in South Bend, Indiana. Same thing in Ann Arbor, Michigan. <laughs> That's the thing, man. That is the thing. You know, so if we're speaking about, and you think the piece of shit that's in the White House right now, I see his game. I know his game. If you notice, when the asshole in charge would go to, say, Madison Square Garden, or would go anywhere where there's, I don't know, people who are educated, people of color, people with common sense, people who aren't really, you know, what's the word I'm looking for here? Dumb. How the reaction that the asshole in chief would get when he would walk into a place, right? where he would walk in the Madison Square Garden or he would walk somewhere where it might be a liberal state or a blue or a purple state, right? Where he would, the reception that he was getting, the chance at, the chance at uh, National Park, lock him up, lock him up. Beautiful, wonderful, loved it. So where about the one place he could go where he could be cheered, where he could be adored and applauded? Down south, down at the SEC schools. Just imagine what's going to happen if, for instance, college football is suspended for the season because this pandemic is not under control. Now, I'm not saying in the upcoming elections that Alabama, Louisiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, I'm not saying that all of a sudden those guys are going to be voting for Biden. But it's just another matter of, oh, shit. Oh, shit, my, almost, I shouldn't say almost, but he needs those, he needs those states. And those folks down in Baton Rouge, those folks in Auburn, Alabama, those folks in Oxford and Starksville, Mississippi, those folks in Gainesville, in Tus in, uh, Gainesville, Florida, those places in Lexington, Kentucky, if they don't have a college football season, Especially in Lexington, Kentucky, where the University of Kentucky plays, and you start fucking around about the possibility of the basketball season being compromised. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to try to tell me that we can't watch our beloved University of Kentucky basketball team in, 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 in person? Say what? If this starts to roll over, fuck these SEC countries. What about Ohio State? What about Columbus, Ohio? What about the state of Ohio? I mean, this election is going to come down to certain states, right? It's going to come down to Wisconsin. It's going to come down to 
Ohio. It's going to come down to Pennsylvania. It's going to come down to Michigan. It's going to come down to Florida. It's going to come down to maybe Georgia or Arizona. Maybe there's North Carolina being thrown involved there. But the main states in terms of who's going to be the person that's going to be in the White House, the main, the main states who are going to determine whether I'm going to stay in this country or I'm going to book it over to Vancouver or Toronto or somewhere else, depending upon the health of my mother, depending upon my financial situation, it's going to come down to the most important states being Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, those four. What's going to be happening if, say for instance, the college football season is canceled. And all of a sudden now in Ann Arbor, you're not going to have the ability to watch or follow the Michigan Wolverines. You're not going to be able to follow the Ohio State Buckeyes because there's no season. Wisconsin is a strong state in terms of its football was concerned, not just with the Wisconsin Badgers, but they also have some really lower tier, some really good lower tier college football programs that people are passionate about. We're talking about Western Pennsylvania, the home of people like Joe Namath and Johnny Unitas and others. All of a sudden now, they're not going to get the ability to watch Penn State. What in the name of Jerry Sandusky and Joe Paterno is going on here? If that happens, what's going to happen then? So you know this piece of shit that's in the White House right now, this lying, conniving, amoral, narcissistic, misogynist, racist piece of shit that this country was stupid enough to vote for? What is he going to try to do to make sure that college football starts at least before November. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see exactly what's going to be going down with that. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. Before I go to a break, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the real hero in this whole deal, as far as the pandemic is concerned, explaining, educating, opening up his time for everybody to try to educate us on this. He's the the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He endorsed the idea of isolating athletes and having them finish seasons in empty stadiums. He was on a, um, he was on, he was interviewing somebody. He's done a lot of interviews, man. Like, give the man credit. And then 80 years old too, man, I hope I'm that, I'm hoping that physically well when I'm 80, if I'm, the good Lord allows me to stay that long here on this planet, in this society and such. So the question that was asked of him by the interviewee was, or interviewer was, do you think those sports seasons are in jeopardy when you're speaking about, you know, ML, the MLS and Major League Baseball and the NBA and NHL? Do you think those sports seasons are in jeopardy? Are we going to have college football this fall? And Fauci's answer was, there's a way of doing that. Nobody comes to the stadium, put them in big hotels, you know, whenever you want to play, keep them very well surveyed and have them tested like every week and make sure they don't wind up infecting each other or their families and just let them play the season out. I would be more inclined for that as far as a moral standpoint is concerned. If these college football players were getting paid, I would be a little bit more like, okay, yeah, I can see them going through that scrutiny and everything, but you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, Think that would happen. And you know what? Booger McFarland made a really good point on this also, where he said, Hey, look, if I'm Trevor Lawrence and I'm going to be the number one pick and I'm this generational type of talent, why am I going to go ahead and do all this stuff? Especially if you're talking about that the season's going to be moved up. Well, then all of a sudden now, if we're playing football, if we're going to be playing college football in, say, for instance, 
April, May, or June, or some nonsense like that. Wait a minute. Why am I going to participate? Because I'm supposed to be the number one player drafted. So why am I going to put anything as far as my future, my health, and my risk in, in, in any type of uh, danger? Why am I going to be doing that with my health when I know that I'm going to be the number one player chosen? What's What, what incentive do I have to go ahead and play college football. What, to win a Heisman Trophy? Big fucking deal. What, to win a national championship? I've already done that. What, to make it to the championship game? I've done that two times in a row. What's the big deal? Who cares? I'm protecting myself. I'm looking after for me, myself, and I. Hey, hey, hey. So if I'm Trevor Lawrence, or even if I'm Justin Fields, guys who are supposed to be going in the top three or four or five in the NFL, especially if you're talking about from a quarterback position where there's many teams out there that will bend and twist and... Win a, win a game of Twister doing incredible stuff just to try to talk themselves into drafting and reaching for a quarterback. If I'm someone like a Justin Fields of Ohio State, if I'm someone like a Trevor Lawrence of a Clemson, what incentive are you giving me to put my health at risk and also put my future earnings at risk? I don't need to be playing football when the draft is coming along right now. I'm already number one. There's no, there's no higher I can go. I can't make any more money. You can't draft me negative number one. Right? I mean, you know, I'm number one. I'm going to be the number one pick. So all these other things. And with the NFL, what's going to be happening with them? I mean, okay, college football is going to be going until May. Let's say, for instance, if it's postponed. Well, what's going to be going on with college football? Are you still guys still going to have the draft in April? And if you college football and you start late and you finish in May, are you still going to start the season? You're going to turn it back around and then start the season in September again? So a lot of things that are going to be answered. And before you say yes, yes, yes to all of those things, remember, you're going to be asking 18 to 22-year-old kids who aren't getting paid to get, what, a two- or three-month break from a season and then turn around and play the 2021 season after 12, 9 to 12, 8 months. Oh, excuse me, uh, 8 weeks. Hmm. Don't know about that. Don't know about that. Again, I get it. I understand it. I talked about the social impact in terms of the economic impact that it has on these communities. I get it. I understand it. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go into making that decision. But if it's for the betterment of the school, if it's for the betterment of the community, you know, it's just, it's just something that we're just going to have to just, I don't know, man, just just get through it. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're just going to have to get through it. But, uh, yeah, the only thing I'll say, again, college football if you want to manipulate and try to see what you can do to get a season in and try to put some fans in the stadium to help your economy, to help your school, to help the neighborhoods, to help those who need the money. Yeah, I can definitely see where you're coming from with the reason of you wanting to put the, get in the college football season by any means necessary. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody is doing all right. I hope everybody is safe. 
I hope everybody is doing what they need to do so we can get this world back to moving again. I know everybody's been impatient. I know everybody wants to get back and do the things that they want to do. Believe me, man, I know, I know, I know. Especially for guys out there who are single and are living alone. Man, has it been as tough? Has it been as tough for you as it is for me? I mean, the fact that damn, I haven't seen really a female in a, in in too long. I'm talking about because you know, if I'm not Ubering to go ahead and make some money, for the most part, I'm inside the house. Every blue moon, I'll go to the grocery store. I try to go to the grocery store to pick up my food and essentials and stuff, like maybe 10, 15 minutes before the uh, store closes, because that way I'm not going to be surrounded by a whole group of people or a whole bunch of people. But for the most part, the only time that I see a woman, talk to a woman, or do any of that stuff is when I'm doing my Ubering. And if you get someone in there who don't want to talk, it's like, all right, fine, no no big deal, no problem, doing my thing. As an Uber driver, I think that you get better marks and better scores if you don't talk. I mean, I don't think that you could ever be penalized because the person says, wow, he didn't talk to me. Now, I don't ignore them. If they start talking, I will definitely hold a conversation, no big deal. But I'm not one of those Uber drivers who sit there and, and starts interrogating the person as soon as they get into the car. Hey, how you doing? So, where you going to? Oh, what you do? Where you from? Is that you? No, I, don't, I don't do any of that stuff. I'm like, hello, how you doing? All right, we're going here. Fantastic. So, how's your day today? That's my, that's my, that's my own deal. That's my intro. That's my, you know, that's my, hello, how you doing? How was your day today? If they say fine and start yapping, then cool. Then I know that I'm going to have to be talking. But if they say fine and shut up and they're, eyes and face goes straight into their phone i go phew thank goodness keep my mouth shut and i keep going but for the most part yeah man for those who are single like myself and don't uh you know and um don't have a female coming over or anything like that yeah more than anything i want this pandemic to to ease to become better but we have to be patient we have to do the right thing because this is the only time I want to do this shit. I'm not really interested in doing this every six to eight months or a year or something like that. So, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The podcast is Wendell's World of Sports. The person doing this podcast is yours truly, Wendell Wallace. NFL news, not a good week for Dak Prescott, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Did you see what he did with Twitter and Dez Bryant and Ezekiel Elliott? So, what Dez Bryant did on Twitter, good Lord. He posted a picture of a completed workout. He and his former Dallas Cowboys teammates, uh, which included Dak De- Prescott. Those guys were working out, getting ready for the season. This, that, and the other. Dez Bryant still looking to hook up with a football team. So, you know, he's hanging out there in Dallas, working out with his boys. So, in the photo that appeared in Bryant's Twitter account, it was himself, Ezekiel Elliott, and Dak Prescott. And they're seen with a few other teammates on a football field in the Dallas uh, Dallas area. Well, I mean, man, you, you would have thought that, my goodness, that uh, that Prescott took a baseball bat and started going around old folks' home and started beating on people. It was just like the outrage, the outcry was tremendous. Mike Florio, one of the best in the business in terms of just talking uh, pro football, well, he's a pro football talk. And this guy wrote a very critical article about Prescott and Dez not practicing social distancing. And some of the quotes from the article written by Florio, it was like, the franchise tag quarterback and the past catcher who very much would like to return to the Cowboys continue to flaunt their defiance of rules that have caused millions to change their habits dramatically. And then he explained, um, and this was explained by Drew Davison of the Fort Worth 
Star Telegram. Prescott and Bryant worked out at the A plus D1 training facility in Dallas County, Texas, despite state and local requirements to remain at home and not work out at gyms. In fact, the governor's executive order was people shall avoid eating or drinking at bars, restaurants, and food and food courts, or visiting gyms, massage establishments, tattoo studios, piercing studios, or cosmopolitan salons. Hey, does it say anything in here about uh, strip joints? Hey, someone give me a ticket to Dallas, will you? Oh, oh, it does. Oh, I can't get into the strip joints. That's one of the things I can't go into. Cancel that. Cancel that. I won't be. I won't be needing to leave. Okay, but um, so the humorous part of this article. So you know, I mean, look. Florio is just going nuts, man. I tell you. Oh, my goodness. They're flaunting. They're thumbing their nose at the authority. These million-dollar, high-priced, high-profile athletes. Ooh, those sons of bitches. So the humorous part of the article that Florio wrote, I've been railing on this for years. Here we go. At a time when many continue to refuse to take the situation seriously, the involvement of the quarterback of America's team in such activities tells football fans and anyone else paying attention that Prescott and Bryant either think that it's no big deal and it gives college and high school football players, along with the other NFL players, fodder for justifying their own decisions to ignore requirements to stay at home and avoid workout facilities. Oh, Boy, I hate where they bring in that shit, man. I hate where they bring in the role models bullshit. I hate that. God damn, I hate that. Come on, Mike, you're better than that. You're smarter than that. Come on, now. Do you really think, do you really, really, really think that there's any percentage of folks in America and in the world right now who are taking their cues in terms of violating the uh, orders from executive orders from governors anywhere in the country or leaders anywhere in the world, do you really think that they were just waiting for an athlete or the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys for them to violate an order, for them to go outside, for them to socially conjugate, for those guys to do anything like that? Are you trying to tell me that if Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott and and Dez Bryant, if they had stayed indoors, that all of a sudden now, all these other folks would have been doing the same thing? What fucking moron, what what idiot would sit up there and say, well, yeah, you know, I was staying inside and I was doing the right thing, but then when I saw Dak Prescott out there doing it, I said, well, hell, let me go ahead and go ahead and do the same thing. What dope, what loser would go ahead and say something like that? Let me tell you something, man. And this country, I'm not just speaking about this country because I haven't been over to Italy. I haven't been over to Spain. I haven't been over to Australia. I haven't been over to the Middle East. I haven't been over to um, Canada. I haven't been over to Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, all those other places. So all I can speak about is the area, the neighborhood that I'm in and following some of the news that's been going on in terms of other parts of this country. Dak Prescott is not the Pied Piper for people to get out and start doing what they want to do. People were going to bars during St. Patrick's Day. People were hanging out at the beaches during spring break in Florida. People were conjugating down at the wharf. People were going ahead and, and, and doing things in Central Park in New York in terms of getting the fresh air and walking around with others. People were doing that long before Dak Prescott and Dak Bryant and these others made this video or made this, took this picture and put it on this Twitter account. Stop giving so much power 
to the people. They're fucking athletes. And yes, I understand in certain parts of this country that athletes carry a lot of weight. Athletes carry a lot of influence. I get that. I understand that. And the same thing all over the world. I'm quite sure that top-tier athletes all over the world, regardless of sports, regardless if you're playing cricket, regardless if you're playing football, regardless if you're playing tennis, regardless if you're an mma or regardless if you're a boxer, I understand that these guys influence, these guys' words and these guys' actions. I, I understand they carry a lot of weight. I get that. But not to the point. First of all, Dak Prescott is nowhere near the celebrity or nowhere near the public figure for anybody to be like, oh, wow, I'm just going to do what Dak Prescott just did. Dak Prescott is not at the same level as a LeBron or as a Lionel Messi or as a, um, or as a, um, oh my goodness, I forgot the guy's name. Roberto, no. Hold on first. LeBron, Lionel Messi, Ronaldo. Yes, of course. He's not, he's not at that level to where he's going to have that type of impact. Was it wrong for him to do that? Yeah, he should have done that. Yeah, it was a bad decision. But damn, you're going to kill him on that? You're going to talk about he needs to be fined and suspended for that? I mean, the only thing that he did, bad judgment-wise, was that he had somebody basically take a picture to confirm what he was doing. It's none of our business. It's none of my business what Dak Prescott does in his off time. It's not my business what he does or any other athlete. I don't care what they do in their off time. I mean, Von Miller just... Just went on the televisions and talked about that he had the uh, coronavirus. He didn't know how he got it or where he got it. I mean, I what, are you going to be ready to play whenever they play? Well, then cool, fine, good for you. I mean, I I just I, I, this stuff about you know the it gives college and high school football players fodder to justify their own decisions to ignore requirements to stay at home. You really think that 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kids? who play football are going to be looking at toward Dak Prescott to see if they can go out and ignore requirements to stay home and avoid uh, workouts. You really think that Dak Prescott is that guy? He's that guy? I'm even maybe thinking about in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He's that guy? He's that powerful? He has that much influence? And the fact that, what's the other one we were talking about? Uh, college and football players. Man. Unbelievable. I don't I don't get that. I really don't get the old well, you know, these guys are role models, they need to be sitting inside. Especially when you said when there's a when in a situation where where many continue to refuse to take the situation seriously, what makes you think that Dead Prescott sitting inside and also taking and taking it seriously? What makes you think that these people who are refusing to take it seriously is all of a sudden gonna change their mind? Don't you think those people who are saying fuck it? Or up there saying, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do what I want to do. You think that, let's say, for instance, if it's the father, you're going to try to tell me that Dak Prescott doing what he's doing as far as working out at the facility with Dak Bryant, you're going to try to tell me that that has more influence, that has more power than a father telling his son not to go outside, that a daughter telling his mom, her mom that she's going outside and she's like, fuck you, you're staying inside. You're going to try to tell me that these three kids that are just walking by my door with their mother, should I... Open up the door and ask them, hey, you three, let me ask y'all a question. Are y'all outside because you saw a photo of Dak Prescott and Dez Bryant taking a picture with each other when they should be indoors? Oh, you're not? Oh, because these three rug rats are driving you nuts and you need to get them out of the house and, 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 for, and get them some fresh air? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. My bad. 
I was watching, I was listening to Mike Florio. I, I thought that every child or every football player or every person that was stepping outside or a decent number of people that were se- stepping outside were all influenced to thumb their nose at society because Mike Florio said that Dent Prescott was at a facility throwing a football around with Dent Bryant, Ezekiel Elliott, and others. Come on, man. Give me a break. Give me a break. I'm going to go out for a walk a little bit later on because my fat ass needs to walk up a couple of hills so I can walk some poundage off. And I'm going to be seeing some people out there doing the same thing. Am I going to, from six feet away, am I going to yell across the street, Hey! Hey, you! Hey! Are you outside thumbing your nose at society and the governor's executive order? Are you saying fuck you to Steve Sisolak because you saw Dak Prescott throwing a football? You're not? Dak Prescott. Prescott. P-R-E-S-C-O, yeah, yeah, Prescott. He's the he's the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. No, not Stallback, Prescott. Yeah, are you outside because of him throwing a football around? Oh, you're not? Oh, okay. So it's just absolutely unbelievable, the old bullshit that some of these folks. Then he actually went on um, Florio. He wasn't done yet. I mean, you just think that after writing the article that he would get it out of the system, but no, 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 no. He has a show, Pro Football Talk. He does with Chris Sims. I'm quite sure he talked about it on that show also. But, of course, on 105.3 The Fan, being the Dallas morning show, I mean, being a, he went on there. I'm quite sure that he would ask to come on and visit uh, visit Cowboy Land and explain the article and such. Oh, and also the great part was the fact that the um, comments you know, one of the funny, and I understand that comments on Twitter and, and when people write something in the comments section, I know that's a very small minority of what people think. So, but just some of the comments that these folks made, you know, all of a sudden now, you know, people are calling Dak Prescott an idiot and that's why they need to trade him and he's no good and he's not a leader. Shut the fuck up, you fucking idiots. I, I love these fucking Joe Schmoes and these Jack James are sitting out there talking about, oh yeah, yeah, Dak Prescott, yeah, this guy's an idiot, this guy's a fool, this guy's a dope, really? This guy makes one little mistake, and all of a sudden now you label him as an idiot, you label him as no good, you label him as a guy that needs to be traded, you label him as a guy who's not a leader, huh? Wow, okay. Man, I would love to see some of these jackasses who write these things. They must be some fucking unbelievable motherfuckers, man. I'm telling you, all you motherfuckers out there talking about how dumb Dak Prescott is, or any type of athlete, if he doesn't do anything stupid. All you athletes, all you guys who sit there and talk about these athletes are dumb or these people are stupid or this, that, and the other, they're not good leaders. I would like to hang around you once this pandemic is over and we can get in, in, you know, some type of decent, you know, distance of each other. I would love to follow you for today to see how great you are as a human being, to see how awesome you are as a leader. Man, y'all must be fucking awesome. Y'all must be some bad motherfuckers, man, to be sitting up there talking about a guy you don't even know, haven't even met, getting on this case like that for just making this one little mistake for throwing the football around. Man, y'all must be awesome. But Florio, I digress. Florio went on 105.3 The Fan on Wednesday morning and called both players to be, he wanted both players to be punished by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Yikes. Really? Yeah, really. He said that, quote, if you've got players who are violating the local laws that say thou shalt stay home during this pandemic. I didn't know that, that they had a thou in there. Thou did not know that. But he said, if you've got players who are violating the local laws that say thou shalt stay home during this pandemic, and they are both creating a real risk 
of spreading the virus and sending a horrible message to others who may be influenced to do the same thing, I would like to see the NFL do something. Even if you're not going to suspend anyone or fine anyone under the personal conduct policy, I want the commissioner to post a video to issue a statement telling all players who are in the NFL or hope to be back like Daz Bryant that they must comply with all applicable state and local requirements as what as that uh, as requirements as what they should and shouldn't do during this pandemic. Really, I mean, you've got the NFL who for some reason can't go 15 hours without one of its employees players doing something stupid in terms of hitting somebody, in terms of a DUI, in terms of obstructing justice in a double murder, in terms about killing dogs, in terms about hitting and running on a, you know, killing people when they were drunk with a car. All of this fucking nonsense, domestic disturbance. Um, we could just go on and on and on about all some of the nonsense that some of these players put the NFL through. And you're going to try to tell me that Dak Prescott, Dak Prescott of all people, Dak Prescott needs to be fined or need to be talked to or need to be scolded like a child for doing this. Really? Dak Prescott? That's the guy for that mishap, for that mistake that he made? Please. Come on, Mike. You're better than that. So, it's been a bad week for Death, uh, Death, Bryant, uh, Death Bryant and Dak Prescott here on Wendell's World of Sports with your host being Wendell Wallace, the podcast, Wendell's World of Sports. So, dealing with social gathering gate concerning Dak Prescott, we already talked about how the fear came down on him for doing this workout with Death Bryant and others. So, there's also a video that's gathering uh, gathering steam in terms of criticism. It's uh, Prescott at home recently. A video went viral along with reports that 30 people attended a a uh, dinner that he had that was in violation of a state order. Now Prescott released a statement saying that he hosted fewer than 10 people at the event, which he insisted, which is dinner, not a party, which has been reported, you know, semantics video of the dinner showed, showed a full buffet, which is unclear. Why, which is unclear. Why, how, why, damn it, man, let me speak some English video of the dinner party showed a full buffet, but it's unclear how many people attended. So what Prescott said about the gathering, he was like, look, I understand and accept that there are additional responsibilities and media scrutiny that come with being a quarterback, an NFL quarterback, but it is very frustrating and disappointing when people provide completely inaccurate information from anonymous sources, especially now. That's what Prescott said in the uh, statement. He went on to say, to set the record straight, I know that we all need to do our best to socially distance and like everybody else, like everyone else, I am continuing to adjust to that to what that requires, but the truth is that I was with fewer than ten people for a home dinner, not a party, on Friday night. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I don't care. If I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, all I'm saying is, look, Dak, do what you need to do to come back next year and be one of the top quarterbacks in the game. That's all I want you to do. Don't go out and just do it. Don't go ahead and, and kill nobody. Don't go ahead and rape nobody. Don't go ahead and commit any type of uh, felony. Don't go ahead and. And, uh, and do any type of serious crime, do what you keep doing. Do what you've been doing. Get yourself ready to come back whenever football comes back and be the best quarterback possible. 
So for all you fucking knuckleheads out there that who are banging down Dak Prescott and this, that, and the other and criticizing Dak Prescott, all of you motherfuckers out there who are talking about how horrible of a human being he is, how irresponsible he is, how unprofessional he's been, how immature that he's been through all of this social gathering gate and playing football at Cowboy Stadium gate or whatever, you know, workout, workout in public places gate, all of this nonsense. All of you motherfuckers will be sitting there cheering your hearts out if he comes back, comes back and becomes one of the best three or four quarterbacks in the league. Always have, always will. Give me a fucking break, please. You're talking about a Dallas Cowboy team that actually had, oh, that actually had, oh shit, what, that, what was that guy's name with the Carolina Panthers whose name I forgot? Greg... Forgot his name, but you know who the guy is. The guy beat up his woman pretty severely. Defensive lineman, played for the Carolina Panthers. Looks a little bit like Paul Pierce. <laughs> I forgot his name. Greg Greg Hardy. Boy, hey man, growing old sucks. Greg Hardy. Yes, Greg Hardy came in there, man. And y'all were sitting there talking about, we got ourselves a pass rusher. We got ourselves a pass rusher. So, I mean, you know, you, you guys are going to cheer him. And then you're up here, up there banging on Dak Prescott because who cares if he had 30 people? Man, that's his business. That's his business. Just come and just, just show up and play, man. You know, that, that's all I ask for these guys to do. But here's something that you need to pay attention to if you're a Cowboy fan. I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm not saying this is set in stone. But this was something that kind of caught my attention. It's what the comments made by CEO Stephen Jones said on Tuesday on the KNC Masterpiece on 105.3 The Fan. Boy, these guys like to go on 105.3 The Fan. Gee whiz. Um, but um, <clears throat> the comments that CEO Stephen Jones said, he says, we've certainly communicated with Deke and Oak and uh, Dak and Zeke. I think they're certainly aware of how sensitive these situations are. And... I don't think you'll be seeing that anymore. Jones went, on, Jones went on to say that they are certainly guys that we have the utmost respect for. I certainly know they understand the sensitivity of the situation we're in. It's certainly very serious and something we know they understand. That one little line that he says, I don't think that you'll be seeing that anymore. I talked to Dak Prescott and I don't think you'll be seeing that anymore. Why is that, Stephen? Did you lay down the line? Did you lay down the line? Did you scold him like a father scolds his child? I don't like that. Mm, I don't like how that came out. Now it could be completely innocuous. It could be completely benign. That uh, statement that was made. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it. I don't know, but you. I don't think you'll be seeing that anymore. That's up for Dak Prescott to say, not Stephen Jones. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if. The snowball starts rolling to where maybe a year or two, Dak Prescott is looking to go somewhere else. Maybe because of the contract extension that he didn't get. Maybe it's a situation where the Cowboys and him don't think that he's a top-tier quarterback in terms of getting paid. I don't know. I don't know. But sometimes in these situations where we're speaking about these little things on why someone got traded or not, or someone is not in favor of the other one, or there's some type of beef and we're trying to see which side I should be rooting for or which side I should be on, I mean, sometimes a comment like, and I don't think we'll be seeing that anymore from the owner, Stephen Jones, speaking about Dak Prescott and the mistake that he made. Did I say that? I said, sometimes you could take that molehill and turn it into a mountain.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things getting down today in the world. Whew, man. April 15th, yesterday, I'm recording this. No, I'm recording this. Yeah, I'm recording this on April 16th, late in the evening. Hadn't turned over to the 17th yet, depending upon when I edit this bad boy. I don't know if I'm going to get it done by Thursday, late Thursday night or Friday morning. You'll have to find out. Um, well, April 15th, 1947, Jackie Robinson became the first black baseball player in Major League Baseball. Not Babe Ruth. <laughs> Jeez. Um, it's interesting because the only reason why I thought about that was because, you know, I really didn't get a chance to talk about this. Um, but the Houston Astros, as you know, are going to be the most hated team in Major League Baseball. And there was a time there you could make the easy argument they were the most hated team in sports for what they did in terms of using technology to cheat or stealing signs of opposing teams using technology during the 2017 and 2018 season. For those who don't know, details about the team's activity were first published, uh, publicly reported in November of 2019. Mike Flyers, a pitcher who played for the Astros in 2017, he told The Athletic that the organization used a video camera in center field to film the opposing catcher's signs to the pitchers and the natural players or team staffers watching the live camera feed behind the dugout would then signal to their batters what kind of pitch was coming. So, of course, everybody is just up in arms, man. I just tell you, this is just the worst thing. This is horrible and people need to be fired and asterisks need to be placed and championships need to be taken away and the Dodgers are whining and complaining about they should be the world champions and not the Houston Astros and this is horrible and this is terrible and this is the worst thing that ever that's ever happened and I'm sitting up there and I say to myself okay I'm not I'm not going to argue that there should be some punishments that jobs should be lost I'm not going to go into all of that I mean, what they did was wrong and what they did was against the rules. And because of that, they need to be punished. No doubt about it. No question about it. My only head scratching, eye rolling deal is where these guys who are just throwing the thing way out of proportion, like, oh my goodness, this is one of the worst things that's ever happened. And this is terrible. And this is horrible. And vilifying these guys and talking about the purity of the game and all this other nonsense. And I'm thinking to myself, Wait a minute, you guys are coming down on the latest cheaters in a long line of cheaters in the game of Major League Baseball? I mean, are you serious? And I thought about Jackie Robinson. I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, you guys are going on and on and on about how horrible the players for the Houston Astros were and how terrible they are and this, that, and the other. And we're talking about a sport that was around for over 50 years, more than 50, 60 years before they finally allowed a black man to play in a professional baseball game? Wait a second, I'm up here talking about, I'm up here trying to wrap my brain around putting the notion of what the Houston Astros did was just so horrible and terrible, but the fact that we have people up here still talking about the fact that Babe Ruth was the greatest baseball player who ever lived when he was playing in a watered-down version of Major League Baseball. Why? Because they didn't allow black players to play. So I can under, I can, I don't understand how they're sitting there talking about making the argument that Babe Ruth is the greatest baseball player of all time when he didn't even play against the best players in the game. Those guys are sitting there if they're talking about how horrible this is for Major League Baseball. Really, we're speaking about and everybody goes back to well the you know, baseball players throwing the, the Chicago White Sox throwing the 1919 World Series horrible terrible disgusting ridiculous. 
if you listen, and if you watch Ken Burns' uh, this, uh, documentary on baseball, and they were talking about that time when the White Sox threw the game, basically Charles Kaminsky, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, was a cheap, onerous, low-life son of a bitch. The way he treated those guys, the way that he paid those guys, the way that he basically tried to use and abuse those guys. Fuck yeah, Shoeless Joe Jackson. Fuck yeah, all those guys who went in on the on the on the bribe to throw the World Series. Hell yeah. This was a guy in Charles Kaminsky who was super duper unbelievably rich. This was a guy who even refused to have the even refused to have to uh, pay for the laundry for the uniforms of the White Sox. And one of the, or Black Sox, excuse me, and one of the reasons why they became the Black Sox was the fact that, you know what, well, the players got tired of having to clean, clean their own socks, so they just said, fuck it, we'll just wear the same dirty-ass socks day after day. I don't know how they didn't get athletes' feet or something. Was there any tenaxin, tenaxin back then or something like that? I don't know, but shit. So basically, they refused to go ahead and pay themselves to have their socks clean. That's the reason why they became the Black Sox. So Kaminsky finally acquiesced and said that he'd go ahead and wash the uniforms. Oh, and by the way, I'll just take that out of your paycheck. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Hell yes, you with Joe Jackson. Go ahead and take take that money. Hell yeah, the way that you were being treated. We have a guy, we have a sport when the commissioner that's in the Hall of Fame right now, Kennesaw Mount Landis, who's sitting up there talking about there's no way, no how that we'll ever have a black man play in, the, in, in Major League Baseball. And we're up here getting all bent out of shape and talking about how horrible and what a scar and what a stain it's going to be for these guys. And they need to be banned from baseball and all this kind of stuff because they cheated. Hell, baseball players have been cheating forever. Whether it's, whether it's PEDs, whether it's gambling, whether it's Throwing games, if you're talking about baseball at the turn of the century, if you listen and if you watch Ken Burns' baseball, these people are sitting up there talking about, of course, at the time the game was run by gamblers. That's one of the reasons why Mountain Saw Landis became commissioner. That's the reason, one of the reasons why baseball had to get themselves a commissioner because you had folks out there and, you know, baseball at the time, we're not talking about the wide range of baseball teams spread all over the country like it is now. So you would have teams from Baltimore and Boston and and New York and such, and you would have these guys playing, and you would have gamblers and, and folks and, and, and people of ill repute sitting in the stands or sitting out there talking about 50 bucks if you miss the ball or $100 if you misplay this ball, and these guys would sit there and be like, okay, oops, I dropped the ball. Or you would have on the same fly ball, you would have $50 if you drop it, 75 if you don't. I mean, so, I mean, and, you know, you would have guys up there kind of seeing what they could do about well, let me see, should I drop it or should I catch it? Who's going to be the highest bidder? It's almost, it's almost like a charming type of aspect for it. And again, I'm not justifying what these guys did. These guys should face the penalty for what they did. I mean, no doubt about it. I'm, I'm not saying that jobs shouldn't be lost. And I'm not saying that penalties shouldn't be forthcoming, or they did uh, with, the, with the penalties. I'm not saying anything about that. But what I'm saying is, is that, hey, man, let's... Uh, Let's kind of calm down on the vitriol and the anger and the disgust and all this kind of stuff about what the Astros did. This is baseball. Baseball, if you, it's the one sport where truly, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. So I'm just kind of like, like, wow, man. I mean, the way baseball treated Jackie Robinson, unforgivable, unacceptable. The way they treated Larry Doby, unforgivable, 
unacceptable. The way they treated Roger Maris, unforgivable, unacceptable. The way they treated Hank Aaron when he was chasing Babe Ruth to get the home run record, unacceptable, unforgivable. That's your sport. That's your sport. That amount of racism, that amount of vitriol, that amount of nonsense that went with being a black player in baseball didn't compare or what was far worse than what NBA basketball players had to go through or what uh, football players in the NFL had to go through. Yeah, everything was not fine and dandy in those sports either. I mean, hell, we were living in America in the, in the 20th century. So, yeah, of course those guys faced the same type of bullshit that the baseball players did, but not to that extent, not to that level. And we're sitting up here talking about how horrible and how terrible it was for the Houston Astros. And we're listening to Los Angeles Dodgers whine and moan and complain about they need to be now be recognized at the champs and all this kind of nonsense. Get out of here, man. Get out of here. Let's just let's just kind of put things in perspective, all right? Let's just kind of calm down with that nonsense. I mean, what they did again was terrible, was horrible. But some of the outrageous outrage that came with that, what came with those discussions, a little bit over the top. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end with this. The UFC is at it again, already planning for its next event happening on May 9th at a location to be determined. Oh, my God, here we go again. The UFC's next pay-per-view event is UFC 250, originally scheduled to take place on May 9th in Sao Paulo, Sao Paulo, Brazil. Of course, the event will no longer happen in Brazil, but Dana White told ESPN that, uh, he's, that, that uh, he's already trying to put together a, a mega card, an unbelievable card, a fantastic card. You know, we don't know if it's going to be exactly for May 9th, but you take a look at possible fights where you have the interim lightweight title fight between Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. You have a bantamweight title fight between Henry Cejudo and Dominic Cruz, who has publicly accepted the bout. You have a featherweight title fight between Amanda Nuyez, the baddest woman on the planet, and Felisa Spencer both who have publicly said, said they will fight each other. You have a welterweight fight, potential welterweight fight between Donald, Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Boy, I thought Conor McGregor beat some sense into him, but Cowboy's going to fight again. Cowboy Cerrone versus Anthony Pettis. They ver- verbally agreed to that. You have Jacare Sousa versus Uriah Hall. Carla Esperanza versus the karate hottie Michelle Waterton. You have Fabricio Verdum. I didn't know he was back on the card. He's going to be fighting. Francis Ngannou is going to be fighting. Little Heavens, Jeremy Stevens is going to be fighting. So, I mean, if he can get, if Dana White can get this done, I mean, I don't know, man. I'll just, you know what? Just let me know when everything truly is set in stone. And again, Tony Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. I mean, I guess, you know, the reason why Khabib Nurmagomedov is celebrating Ramadan, so he wouldn't be able to fight that week. So, that weekend, so I don't know. 
if Dana White brought himself, bought the UFC, uh, not the Dana White, but if UFC bought, him, bought themselves an island, I mean, wouldn't that be, or if they already had the location already set for UFC 249 before the folks at Disney and, and ESPN told them, to, told them to put the kibosh on it, didn't, should we already then have ourselves a place where there's going to be the fight, where the fights are going to be held? I'm taking a look here. I mean, most of these folks, I mean, Cerrone, Pettis, um, Nunez, she lives in Florida, Dominic Cruz, Cejudo lives in Albuquerque, Ferguson, Gacy. I mean, all these guys live in the United States, so it wouldn't be a situation where they would have to be trying to bring some folks over from other countries. Now, Jacare lives. I don't, did Jack, no, I think Jacare years ago moved, uh, moved to the United States. Uh, Watterson is in the United States, Uriah Hall, this, I mean, so basically all of these guys that are fighting, Verdum, I think Verdum is down in, um, Southern California, I think he moved also, I think he's, uh, I think he trains at Anderson Silva's gym down in Southern California, but, um, yeah, so all of these guys are living here in the States, so it wouldn't be a matter of any type of travel, uh, difficulty for them to get there, but, you know, in a situation like this, man, let me, let me know when everything is all said and done. So, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. So, I'll uh, leave it at that. Hey, some WWE layoffs that I want to end with. Some of the higher-profile wrestlers that were laid off include, include Kurt Angle, Carl Anderson, and Luke Gallows. Oh, man, boy, I tell you, what's AJ Styles going to do? Leo Rush? Oh, my goodness. What's uh, Bobby Lashley going to do? Bobby Lashley, if you don't remember Leo Rush, he was the mouthpiece for Bobby Lashley for a while, but that didn't work out. Drake Maverick, he's not going to be able to go after the 24-7 title. Zack Ryder, no longer will it be Rusev Day. He got his walking papers also. Also released from the company at this time, you're talking about Heath Slater, Kurt Hawkins, Eric Young, EC3, Aiden English. I mean, I guess the only person in terms of like, wow, that's a big deal, was being released was Kurt Angle. But I mean, Kurt Angle is 51 years old. Kurt Angle shouldn't be wrestling anymore. Kurt Angle... You know, Kurt Angle is Kurt Angle. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. I think Kurt Angle, for me, is one of my top six or seven favorite wrestlers of all time. I mean, I think naturally gifted-wise. I mean, if you think about the fact that he came straight from the Olympics, but then the short run that he had from going to the Olympics and not really having any background as a quote-unquote wrestler, and then doing the things that he did in a short amount of time, it was remarkable. Um, so Kurt Angle might have been the most gifted or one of the most gifted wrestlers that there were i mean you can also put some others up there but um yeah i mean ankle was something else but you know for me it's got to be my favorite's always got to be the macho man randy savage i mean you know that's when he came out with miss elizabeth it was uh you know game set and match for me love me some macho man love me some macho man love me some miss elizabeth you gotta remember when she came out what was i like 14 15 16 years old something like that when he was introduced, when he introduced her as his manager, and that woman came out, and I was just like, who the fuck is that? Damn. You know, much better looking than classy Freddie Blassie and Bobby Heenan and Mr. Fuji. And that just started the whole deal. I mean, they had been other valets in wrestling before, but, you know, this was something new. And then, of course, you had the Macho Man. His all-around skill, his all-around talent, his character, even though, you know what really makes a great wrestler? And I guess this is one of the reasons why so many people think Ric Flair, Ric Flair is the greatest of all time. is the fact that, you know, there really wasn't too much difference between wrestler and the man. Like, when you're speaking about Ric, Ric Flair, everybody, if you saw that 30 for 30 documentary, everybody dealing with Flair was like, you know what, he is, his persona outside the ring kind of was similar to what it was in the ring. 
I mean, he didn't turn it on and off. I mean, what you saw in the ring, what you saw, excuse me, what you saw on the stick when he was talking, giving promos, uh, that's how he was in real life. I mean, that's if you rolled with him, he was he was like that for the most part. So, I mean, I guess that much, that's one of the things that make a wrestler so great in terms of that they live by their character. And my, Savage was the same way, man. I mean, Macho Man, the, the Macho Man that you saw on screen, of course, I didn't know this, but, you know, you read and you watch documentaries and some other things. But the Macho Man you saw on the screen and giving interviews and doing all that stuff, that wasn't too much of a character. That wasn't too far from the real man. And you talked about the situation where, you know, he was overprotective of Miss Elizabeth and when he would go to the ring to do his work, that he would lock her in the locker in the locker room and all this kind of crazy stuff. And he was jealous of anybody. If you say hi to Liz, he would go nuts. And he was just... I mean, he talked like this for real. I mean, I mean, what you saw? Ooh, yeah. I mean, that was that was what he sounded like outside the ring. It wasn't, ooh, yeah, Macho Man Randy Savage. Hulk Hogan, you're going down the Mega Powers. Yeah, you think that you're going to be able to beat, you think that you're going to be able to beat the Macho Man? Well, I'm telling you, Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan, look at my black heart. You'll never be able to beat me. Never. Okay, well, that fantastic or what? Wonderful. That was a great take. I really like that one. Do we need to do one more? No problem. All right, here we go. In three, two, one. Hogan, let me tell you. I mean, it wasn't anything like that. I mean, he was, I mean, he was, he was the same guy. Mick Foley was once asked, you know, what, what makes Brock Lesnar such a great heel? And Mick Foley's answer was, well, you know, because the character that he plays in wrestling is a big bully who doesn't like people. When in all actuality, in real life, Brock Lesnar is a big bully who doesn't like people. So, I mean, so, it's really, so for me, Savage was the best. Ricky Steamboat second. The Rock came in third. Tito Santana was up there high for me. Mr. Perfect, Kurt, Hang, uh, Mr. Perfect um, Kurt Henning was high up there for me also. So, those are my guys. Those are my guys. Rocky Johnson, Dwayne Johnson's dad, The Rock's dad, and Tony Atlas. I like them also. Man, how far back am I going on that, huh? But yeah, but, um, you know, I mean, you take a look at some of these, I've been watching wrestling now for a long time. So, I mean, you take a look at EC3. I saw him over in, um, Dixie Carter's, uh, organization. I, I never got EC3, never got EC3. I didn't think he was that good of a worker. I mean, he had a good build. He had a good physique, but he wasn't that good on the mic. He wasn't that good as a heel. I mean, I just, just don't think that he's that talented of a, of a wrestling performer. I mean, maybe he'll go to AEW. I mean, I think someone like Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, I mean, they made their bones in, in Japan, so I can see them going back to Japan. I mean, Drake Maverick is 37 years old. He went on video when he got released talking about for all intent and purposes, his wrestling career is over. Rusev, I can see him going to AEW. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Rusev, the name, he might be too big for, for Ring of Honor, but someone like a Heath Slater, Kurt Hawkins, Eric Young is old. I don't know what Eric Young is going to do. I mean, I mean, you're talking about EC3, Eric Young. You're talking about TNA. You're talking about back in the TNA days, TNA days. So I don't know exactly what their guys are going to do. But, um, yeah, I expect Rusev. If I'm AEW, I focus on Rusev. Leo Rush, I don't know what to do about Leo Rush is a small guy. He can wrestle a little bit, but he's a small guy. I, I think he works a little bit better as a manager. But I don't know what he's going to do. He got married recently, so maybe he's just going to kick back and enjoy his time with his, with his bride. But, um, you know, if I'm Heath Slater, Hurt Kurt Hawkins, I mean, I don't go after, e if I'm AEW, I don't go after Eric Young. I don't go after EC3. I don't go after Aiden English. 
Slater, maybe. Slater, maybe. Most definitely, I'd go after Rusev. Rusev is 37 years old. He's got, he's got another three, four good more years left in him. So I'd, I'd bring him back as a monster heel if I'm, if I'm uh, AEW. Um, Slater, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I never really digged his, I never really digged his uh, character. So about that. But basically, this is because of all of the COVID-19, the pandemic. WWE says the company's reductions of employee compensation and headcount result in an estimated monthly saving of $4 million, along with a cash flow improvement of $140 million. The WWE is making money hand over fist. This, this, this had nothing to do with these guys needing to uh, cut bait to you know, make sure that Vince McMahon stays in, stays in business. But, you know, I mean, we're talking about guys who were released. I mean, they weren't being used. EC3, Eric Young, they were never used. Leo Rush, for after that run with Bobby Lashley, he was never used. Drake Mavericks, after that 24-7 run, he was never used. Rusev, I mean, how many? I don't know how much over Rusev could have gotten with Rusev Day, and they did nothing with, with him. So, I mean, you know, he had them been used for a while. I haven't seen Zack Ryder for a while. Kurt Angle, as I mentioned before, backstage, but I mean, again, backstage. Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, I mean, how long can you be, how long can you be, um, AJ Styles is flunky, you know, I mean, as part of that group. So none of these, none of these cuts were like earth shattering, but you know, you got to do what you got to do if you're the, if you're the WWE. I guess there's a profit margin to be made and I guess that profit margin is really big. All right. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Whew, my name is Wendell Wallace. I am going to try to put this together before I fall asleep. Time for me to turn on my little bit of Otis Redding. Time for me to turn on a little bit of James Carr. Time for me to turn on a little bit of Percy Sledge. Time for me to turn on a little Four Tops. Time for me to turn on a little Aretha Franklin. Time for me to turn on some music that I'm going to vibe and get into and dig a little bit because for the next hour and a half or so, I've got more work to do. But I thank you very much for listening. It's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Stay safe. Be good to each other. Be responsible. Let's see what we can do to get through this. If we're not going to do this together, let's do it individually. Let's just see what we can do to get things back to normal as quickly as possible. Stay well. Stay healthy. Love one another. Be good to each other. Remember, we're all God's kids. We're all God's children. Let's see what we can do to make him happy. Music. Music.